Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. We have been very clear on this podcast that free speech is very important. In a prior episode, we reported that Joe Biden's administration is meeting privately behind the scenes with journalists to change the coverage it is getting on the supply chain crisis and and other economic woes that have been a serious issue for Biden as his approval ratings continue to plummet, and they really are plummeting. (laughs) CNN's media newsletter reported that the White House, not happy with the news media's coverage of supply chain and, and the economy, has been working behind the scenes trying to reshape coverage in its favor. Senior White House and administrative uh, officials have been briefing major newsrooms over the past week. The officials have been discussing with newsrooms trends uh, pertaining to job creation and economic growth, supply chains, and more. The basic argument that has been made is that the country's economy is in much better shape than it was last year. (laughs) I'm told the conversations have been productive with anchors and reporters and producers uh, getting to talk with the officials. (laughs) The ones, the experts, you know. So, what is happening is the White House wants to wants to give the the willing media their their talking points, <laughs> and you know they they love to get these talking points, and they all will will glom onto a word, a certain phrase, or something. So they meet with them in secret, and then tell them what to say. And of course, that's called propaganda, <laughs> but it is just one of many attacks on free speech. It it wasn't long ago that a whistleblower came out uh, from Facebook and she gave interviews and made claims that the social media company was allowing hate speech. Even though it was an interesting look into how social media companies censor posts on their websites, there was there was something that was disturbing about it. And the whistleblower was was not motivated by the fact that Facebook was attacking free speech. She was upset that Facebook was allowing what she thought to be hate speech. She wanted Facebook to censor more content, not less. She th- she saw this social media company as promoting hate by not taking down posts that she saw as hateful. This this highlights something that has bothered me for a while now. And that is the rise of the term hate speech. I'm a huge believer in our God-given right to free speech. There was a reason that the founding fathers made it one of the most important trends of our uh, tenets of our of our constitution. Um, communication is vital to having a free society. On the other side of the coin, the Bible talks about being loving and and the the putting away of coarse talk. So how do we as Christians rectify the two? Well, from a townhall.com article, it says any serious discussion of hate speech laws should start with a consideration of George Orwell's prophetic book, Into the Future, specifically the book 
1984. And this is this is one of my favorite books. I love this book. If you haven't read 1984, please drop what you're doing right now and, and go get a copy and read 1984. It is an awesome book. Re- recall that in George Orwell's book, Big Brother sought to control not only all thoughts, but also the language used to form thoughts. To that end, he created the language of newspeak, described as the only language in the world whose vocabulary gets smaller every year. <laughs> and in a separate essay, Orwell explained that newspeak is closely based on English, but has a greatly reduced and simplified vocabulary and grammar. In the book, this suits the totalitarian regime uh, of the party, whose aim is to make any uh, alternative thinking a thought crime, or in the language of Newspeak, a crime think. The language of Newspeak removes any words or possible word constructs which describe the idea of independent thinking and freedom and, and, and rebellion and, and disagreements or unapproved values. The underlying intent of Newspeak, of course, is that if someone or something can't be said because the words have been criminalized, banned, or no longer exist, then it is hugely more difficult to think. <laughs> there, there are many lessons to be drawn from Orwell here. Law itself represents society's standard of conduct, defining acceptable from unacceptable behavior. And the end goal of any criminal law is the elimination of certain specific behaviors. Uh, unless you're some woke DAs that we have now, but that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> if, if this is the case, as we know it, that it is, what can we make of a law that bans the mere utterance of certain words? For those comfortable with this, the ever-expanding use of hate speech laws is no cause for alarm. But let me pose a few questions. Having opened the Pandora's box of hate speech laws, and in light of the endless supply of unwanted, stupid, and obnoxious ideas and, uh, and speech, why not expand these laws to eliminate any speech the state deems bad for society? Having legitimized the banning of certain dangerous or hurtful words, where do we as a society stop? Orwell once famously said, if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. This sentence, I think, sums up the essence of free speech in a, a truly free society. He and others believed that without the freedom to offend or the freedom of, of free speech and, and free thoughts, well, we, we don't have a society. If we can't have the freedom to offend, then free speech and free thoughts don't even exist. Ideas are indeed sometimes dangerous things, especially ideas that seek to challenge or even change the current status quo or existing uh, orthodoxy. And, and instead, uh, and, and indeed, is there is really any point in having certain protections for freedom of speech if there is only freedom to express the most popular or current political correctness ideas or opinions. The, the, the punish, 
the, the, the punishing of speech and the expression of certain offensive ideas is a classic slippery slope. It starts so disarmingly with baby steps and gradually gains speed and in time gives birth to a society where free speech is no longer free and people whisper words they believe are true for fear of punishment or retaliation. I suggest that unless strong voices are heard and heard loudly, we may very well usher in a new era of state-enforced censorship and darkness. So what is hate speech really? And, and, and legally, what can we say or not say in this country? Well, from Reason.com, he says, here are three rules you should know about hate speech and the First Amendment. Rule number one, the First Amendment protects all ideas, loving, hateful, or in between. In the United States, hate speech is just a political label, like un-American speech or rude speech. Some people use the phrase broadly, some more narrowly. But there's no legal definition because there is no hate speech exemption in the First Amendment. And I think that's crucial. As the Supreme Court held in 1974 under the First Amendment, there is no such thing as a false idea. However, uh, pernicious an opinion uh, may seem, we depend for its correction not on the conscience of judges and juries, but on the contemplation of other ideas. And that's, that's an actual quote um, in the Gertz versus Robert Welsh Inc. Uh, case, uh, or in 19, or I'm sorry, in, in 2017, the, the, the proudest boast of our free speech jurisprudence is that we protect the freedom of expression, the thought that we hate. That's, that's from uh, Mattel versus Tam, which, in, in which the government denied a trademark to an Asian American band. Uh, because the band's name, The Slants, was seen by some as a racial slur. The government wasn't even trying to ban the name. It, it was just denying a generally available benefit, a trademark restriction or registration to people who, who use the name. But even that, the court concluded, was unconstitutional viewpoint of, of discrimination and, and thus violated the First Amendment. Now, rule number two, some speech is not protected by the First Amendment, but that's true regardless of whether it's bigoted or, or hateful. For instance, um, threats of violence are constitutionally unprotected. That includes all threats, racist threats, threats to police officers, threats to business owners, threats to the president, anyone. Likewise, uh, in, intentionally inciting Immediate violence or something uh, like that is, 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 is sometimes punishable. Classic example of this is giving a speech to a mob outside a building and urging them to burn it down. I, of course, unless you're Antifa in a you know liberal uh, big city, then you can do that. But uh, other than that, it, it, can, it can be punished. Uh, but again, it doesn't matter if the speech is outside a synagogue or a police station or a recycling center. It can still be punished uh, if there's the will to. Personal insults said to someone's face might also be punishable as so-called fighting words. Uh, again, though, 
That's true regardless of whether the insults stem from personal hostility or a group hatred related to you know, race, religion, or the like. And indeed, in 1992, the Supreme Court struck down an ordinance that specifically targeted bigoted fighting words, such uh, an ordinance, the, the court said, unconstitutionally discriminated against uh, particular viewpoints. Now, rule number three. Rule number three says hate crime laws are constitutional so long as they punish violence or vandalism, not speech. The classic example of this is Wisconsin versus Mitchell, the 1993 case in which the Supreme Court unanimously upheld hate crime laws. Todd Mitchell was a young black man and urged some friends to beat up a white boy because the boy was white. Wisconsin law made the beating into a more serious crime because the boy was targeted based on his race. And the court said that is fine because a physical assault is not by any stretch of the imagination expressive conduct uh, protected by the First Amendment. You can't just beat somebody up and say that was my First Amendment right. I can do what I want. And while the law uh, in, increased the punishment because of the defendant's intent, the law often punishes people more because of why they did what they did. So killing someone for money will get you a harsher punishment than killing them out of a momentary um, you know, flash of anger. Likewise, firing an employee because of his race will get you a civil lawsuit. And firing an employee for most other reasons, of course, won't. None of this covers the mere expression of hateful ideas or the use of words that some see as hateful. Those are indeed generally protected by the First Amendment. But why? The, 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 the justices generally agree that racist ideas, for instance, are wrong and dangerous. Why would the justices say hate speech is con- constitutionally protected then? Because they don't trust government officials to decide which ideas are wrong and dangerous. That's why. They worry that if government officials had the power to ban evil ideas, that power would quickly stretch to punish a wide range of, of debate and dissent. And they see the First Amendment as requiring that distrust. In, in the words of Justice Black, echoed by the Supreme Court in 1972, quote, the freedoms guaranteed by the First Amendment must be accorded to the ideas we hate or sooner or later, they'll be denied to the ideas we cherish. So even if certain words or ideas are evil or wrong or dangerous, people have to be given the, the freedom to express them, or we don't have freedom at all. We have only propaganda delivered to us by the powers that be. Here, here are some examples of, of that happening. From Heritage.org, it says, German citizens, for instance, who disagree with the nation's immigration policy have been intimidated, investigated, arrested, and fined for speech allegedly, quote, capable of inciting hatred and uh, degradation of human dignity of others. In 2009, an elected Belgian politician who publicly criticized his nation's immigration and assimilation policies was officially banned from holding public office for 10 years because his speech allegedly held to 
feelings of distrust, (laughs) rejection, or even hatred toward foreigners. In France, Marine Le Pen, the the 2017 presidential election runner-up and head of uh, the major political party, in an attempt to alert the public to the brutality of the Islamic State, posted pictures of its crimes on on her um, Twitter account. She was charged with violating the dignity of presumably French Muslims. (laughs) French law carries a penalty of up to three years in prison and a $90,000 fine. In the ongoing investigation, courts ordered Le Pen to undergo psychiatric evaluations to determine whether she suffers from mental illness and whether her mental state is a threat to public safety. In in 2011, for example, a woman was convicted by the um, Austrian uh, government for saying in a private seminar that Mohammed's marriage to Aisha was a act of pedophilia because, of course, Mohammed was 56 years old at the time of his marriage while she was six years old. Ironically, these claims are established by Muslim sources. I mean, we know them to be true. Nevertheless, the speaker was convicted by a Vienna court for disparaging religious doctrines in a matter capable of provoking justified indignation even though there was no actual victim in this case. On appeal, the Austrian Supreme Court ruled that the speaker's statements were value judgments or statements of opinion, which apparently are not justifiable forms of speech when discussing protected groups. (laughs) After another appeal, the conviction was upheld even in the European Court of Human Rights, which ruled that the statements were capable of harming the feelings of the followers of that religion, and therefore not subject to legal protection. European courts ruling um, additionally noted the need for uh, to, to forbid such speech to prevent violent Muslim riots. So, <laughs> so if I say something that hurts their feelings, then I get thrown in jail so that they don't violently riot. All right, got it. In other words, the threat of rebellion and and violence rather than the truth of a statement and the freedom of the mind come to set the standard of the law. America's big tech companies, uh, Google, Twitter, Facebook, largely intimidate the the, the premises of of Europe's hate speech laws. They they are currently in the midst of expanding their restrictions. The, The the leaked Google internal memo shows that companies' skeptical view of freedom of speech, comparing the American tradition, as they put it, to the European tradition, America prioritizes free speech for democracy, not civility, while the European tradition favors dignity over liberty and civility over freedom. The memo states that Google's support for the European tradition and argues that all tech platforms will move in that direction eventually. And many well-meaning dis, uh, dissent Americans, decent Americans, uh, do not yet clearly see the underlying goals or the political imp- implications of hate speech laws. They should first recall that America's laws already 
ban incitement to imminent violence of any kind. They already protect citizens against individual uh, defamation. And perhaps even more powerfully, the law of opinion already opposes hatred and contempt for protected groups in the public square. There is thus no need for hate speech laws. And and here's here's another example just from the other day. Uh, Brandon Showalter of the Daily Wire uh, says in his article entitled, Why It's Worth Making a Fuss Over Language. He says many uh, publications and, and individuals have in recent days been suspended or locked out of their Twitter accounts and prohibited from using the platforms unless certain posts are removed. Among those currently restricted on the site is the publication that I work for, he says, the Christian Post. When we posted an article titled USA Today Names Rachel Levine Among Its Women of the Year and pointed out that Levine is, in fact, a man, the social media giant told us that, according to its terms of service, we had violated its hateful contact policy and that we have to delete the tweet if we want to continue sharing articles with our readers on the platform. (laughs) Now you know one of the reasons why this podcast uh, does not have anything to do with Twitter. Uh, Christian Post uh, has said, and I agree, that we are uh, prepared to lose our Twitter account if we are not allowed to communicate fully. Uh, Some might ask, why is this such a big deal? Can't you just call him a her if... If they want, why is it the fuss? Well, the big deal and, and the fuss are that that we are being asked to bow down to a lie. And it's a huge lie. As, as I explained, he says, in the, in the Washington Examiner, when, when asked to comment on our Twitter restrictions, the reason why the Christian Post is such a stubborn stickler for language is because we value the truth. When proponents of transgenderism twist and overhaul our very means of communication in keeping with their ideological goals, the, the truth is irrevitably compromised and, and people are gravely harmed. If we do not have a commonly shared understanding of what words mean, having conversations in good faith, not, not to mention our ability to function as a society, it, it all becomes impossible. When, when we are told by, by social media companies or Associated Press Stylebook or whatever to report that a man is actually a woman, we are being indoctrinated to deceive. We cannot further the notion that our, um, our, our, our philosophy can, can be overwritten with, with uh, political correct euphemisms or rainbow flags. Conveying such a thing is really, it is real through the use of, of newspeak. Uh, from, from, our, from our perspective, a, um, a dereliction of our, our journalistic duty to report as honestly as we can. Human beings are sexually uh, deformic mammals and, and sexual, and, and sex is immutable. Using language to reflect that science science, um, fact matters. We fail to, to love our neighbor when we refuse to do this. And a world where everyone speaks out of an 
uh, autobiographical dictionary uh, filled with meaningless words is an untenable one where madness reigns. It is it is navel-gazing, writ large, a, a newfangled tower of Babel, so to speak. But aside from anything distinctly theological, something greater is at stake here with the incessant word-bending that, that gender ideology requires. It's, it's, it's reality. When we are forced to lie about biology, we sever ourselves from all sense of what is actually real. To, to paraphrase, paraphrase evolutionary biologist Colin Wright, who is not a Christian and has written extensively on the, the gender um, psychoscience that, that uh, saturates the media and, and academic discourse, if, if we deny the nature of bi- biological sex and mass, we will become hostages to chaos and lose our collective tether to reality. I submit that's not overstating it. That tether is already framed, and and the most vulnerable people in our society are paying a heavy price. As as Wall Street Journal columnist and uh, uh, irreversible damage author Abigail Schreier observed uh, in the Substack essay about her opinion piece that that detailed California's policy that allows um, violent male offenders to be housed in women's prisons on the basis of their self-identification as women. Uh, Lying about sex will likely prevent the the public from ever knowing about the scope of those actual female prisoners, uh, you know, their their undeniable terror. Uh, Keep in mind that many of these incarcerated women come from domestic violence backgrounds and often have histories of addiction and substance abuse. For some, the prison was the only relatively safe space that they'd ever known. And in this Orwellian gender regime, the, the, the violence that male inmates uh, perpetrate against female prisoners will simply be recorded as women-on-women violence, is, is what Schreier writes. Uh, only those at the the prison will be the wiser. The, the rest of us will be living behind just a, a philosophical blockade. The manipulation of language inherent in this ideology has extended to the medical uh, arena. Uh, J.K. Rawlings, the, the loved author of the Harry Potter series, wrote last August that she has arrived at the dire conclusion that an ethical and and medical scandal is brewing. After conversing with both gender dysphoric individuals who harm who were harmed and and psychological psychological professionals that have been raising concerns, uh, voicing criticism of the affirmative approach, which she rightly placed in air quotes, um, Rawlings said she she believed that the time is coming. When those organizations and individuals who have uh, uncritically uh, embraced fashionable dogma and and demonized those urging caution will have to answer for the harm that they've enabled. May the day come swiftly. And and may the um, megalomanical abuse of, of language that is part of the 
parcel that that fashionable transgender dogma now trying to censor the Christian uh, post um, stop with it. If if we uh, allow this kind of thing to continue, it and and we allow it to happen when we will have n- we will just simply have no meaningful speech at all. We may not like what other people say. We may get our feelings hurt when listening to others' ideas. We, we may become angry or concerned by the views of others. I mean, it, Christians have, have, uh, have definitely been guilty of this many times where we hear something that's not biblical and, and, and we want to shut that kind of speech down. We, we get all excited about that. But that, just because we hear something that is not truth, or we don't like, or is not biblical, but that, but but that does that, that doesn't mean that we should uh, censor or criminalize that speech. The famous quote comes to mind: "I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it." This attitude has never been more solely needed than today. And again, you may disagree with that. And you may agree with that. I would love to have that conversation. And of course, you can always do that on our social media, as long as we're not banned. Uh, You can go to Facebook, you can go to Instagram, go to MeWe, uh, or you can also just simply go to UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications. 